people, welcome to a new episode. So today we're going to talk about adoption, especially about interracial adoption. And the title is, what's up with white people adopting black children? Woo! Let's get into it. Here with me today is the wonderful Wera Gatti. She agreed to join me to share her story because she is herself adopted from Rwanda. And yeah, I'm so happy to have her here. Welcome, Wera. Thank you. What an introduction. <laughs> I'm really happy that you're here because obviously it's raining in Belgium, as mm -hmm. per usual. So you made it all the way from Antwerp to have this moment. So yeah, thank you. You're welcome. We're going to make it sunny in here. Yeah. A little bit bubbly. <laughs> exactly. Don't forget the rain outside. Let's forget that stupid rain outside. Uera, yes. introduce yourself. Who are you? Who? <laughs> That's a big question. Yeah, I Yeah, I find it a difficult question. It is, right? Yeah, because what do people want to know? So, yeah, my name is Uwera. I'm from Antwerp. I grew up in Antwerp. I was born in Rwanda. And like you said, I'm a transracial adoptee from Rwanda. And I'm just enjoying life and finding myself and <laughs> just trust the process and going through life like everybody is and finding my way. Oh. Beautiful. I love that for you. Oh, thank <laughs> you. So you told me you're from Antwerp. Where in Antwerp did you grow up? Because people like to say I'm from Antwerp and then mm. they're like from the Kempo. Okay. <laughs> I might be people. <laughs> are you people? I'm people today. <laughs> Just because if I say the town, people are going to be like, huh? So I grew up in Burgt. It's a small oh, town next to Linkeroven. Yes. So it's small and... I don't know. A lot of adoptees grew up in small towns. I don't know what it is with that. Maybe we should do like yeah. an investigation. <laughs> is, is it a part of the plan? <laughs> <laughs> what plan? Uh, As we said, you are adopted and that's why you're here to yes. talk about your experience. Because actually, why did I want to do this podcast? It's something that uh, I've seen a lot growing up in Antwerp. I had a few people in my school, not in my class, but who were adopted black children or oh, one, one Asian uh, child as well. I don't know from where she was in Asia. And I would, especially with the black children, I would see, for example, just small stuff like their hair was not done like mine's or my friends. Yes. They didn't have braids anytime. Mm. I mean, it's not an obligation, but it's no, just. But you can spot it. Exactly. You can spot it. Or even in the street. Um, one time I was at a hairdresser with my brother, who is mixed, and another small mixed child. I think he was about five. He came in with his white mom. Um, and you could just see the desperation in her eyes. She was like, Please help he my child. Help my child. She was like, he doesn't want me to comb his hair. Uh, he's always crying. I was like, yeah, but we all cry. And that's just the hair. I mean, his hair was, it was um, the typical mixed hair. You know, it's a little pretty bit softer. It's softer, but it was so not combed in forever Oof, that he had dressed yeah he had he had, he had like natural dreads, dreads because of not combing the hair exactly yeah the hairdresser just looked at her and said Je dois couper, hein, madame? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and she was like yeah okay drastic just, measurements <laughs> he was just like what what do you want me to do with this so he just cut his hair he looked cute but You know, oh, it's damn. it's so traumatizing, I think, for a lot of kids, especially at that age. Even yeah. with my own niece, I see it. She's She doesn't want me to touch her hair, only if I make it wet, which is normal, because yes. then it's more... We know now. Back we know then, now. we didn't know We either. didn't. We didn't. Our mom's... Uh, Dry yeah. hair coming through it. <laughs> coming through it. No mercy. So, yeah, that's why I just wanted to know what is the adoption process, especially coming from the point of view of someone who had that experience so let's go back to your childhood yes let's go back in time was there a specific moment as a child from your earliest memory that you remember or that you realize that you were different as in you have a different cultural heritage than your parents or maybe your siblings I don't know if you have any yes I don't 
think I understood the heaviness because we're talking now about cultural heritage. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand that. So I'm adopted and I'm the only adopted person within my Belgian family. So I have an older sister, but she's not adopted. So I remember coming from Rwanda to Belgium. So I remember... How like old were you? Two and a half. Ooh, yeah. You remember... Yeah, 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 I remember being in the plane. I remember oh, wow. being separated from my mom, being in the plane. You do? Yes, but then I don't have any vivid memories. Like, mm. I just remember coming, but then I was just here. Um, and of course, first of all, you don't look like your family. So you wake up, you see them, you see you, you know you're different. Mm. But what does that mean? As a child, you can't really put it into words. So it's more a feeling like, oh, I'm different. And I always knew because I used to be teased on the playground by other children. And I never told my parents until I was a grown up because I know I knew like they're not going to understand because they're not in the same situation as me. So you already knew that as a child, as a child already. Mm. And for me, in my white bubble, like I said, I also grew up in a small town. Um, I was the only black child for a long time. In my little bubble, for me, it was like, uh, if I just was white, it would be easier for me. So as a child, I always dreamt of being white and just fit in my family perfectly. Because when I was with my parents and my sister, it felt okay for me. Like we were a family and everything was okay. But then you go outside, people ask questions like, how can that be your parents? And as a child, you don't have the answers because nobody really explained to you what happened. So you're like, I don't know why you're asking me these questions. I don't Mm -hmm. have the answer. And you always feel like... Oh, I'm different. Yes. So actually, at an early age, you already had a sort of identity crisis. Yeah, definitely. And how did your parents handle that? When did they tell you, look, you're adopted, um, your family is, or or your biological family is in Rwanda? Um, How did that conversation, what happened? It's not that we really had a conversation because I was old enough to understand, like, I didn't... But you were two and a half. Yeah, but you're old enough to know, like, I didn't came out of your belly. Like, you you know. So, but my parents would, like, they would celebrate the day I arrived in Belgium every year because my mom would explain to me, like, it's the same excitement going to the hospital to give birth as going to get you. So I did always know, like, okay, that's the day I came. My family's in Rwanda. But we didn't have any information about them or anything. So it's not that we had that kind of conversation. Also, it was different times in the Mm. 90s. Adoption was looked at it very differently than right now. So in that day and age, it was more like give the child love and everything will be fine. Mm. So that's what my parents did. They gave me love, give me everything the same as my sister. That was a good thing because I never felt different within my family. Like, I did feel different, but not because of my parents. Mm -hmm. They treated me the same as my sister. So for that, it was like, oh, okay, I can feel at home and things like that. Even though I knew, like, okay, I have family in Rwanda. Also, I didn't really know if they were still alive or anything. But I know, like, I come from somewhere else and I came to Belgium Mm -hmm. in this family. So I always knew we didn't really have big conversations about it. But that... It goes both ways. Like I said, like it is the day and age like that people didn't really talk about it. So mm-hmm. my parents were like, okay, she's not asking any questions. So we're just assuming everything goes fine. I was also a little bit, of, I don't want to say a model child, but I was like, let's just behave, be good, do whatever is expected from you. So you can stay here. So I didn't cause any trouble. I was not mixed up in weird things or stuff like that, that they had to sit me down and be like, okay, what's going on with you? So I was never that child. No fights, no No, drugs, no nothing, no no problems, nothing. I was, uh, yeah, I behaved well and I had good grades and things like that. So there was never really for them a point to be like, oh, maybe we need to dig into it and maybe she's struggling with it. I never showed that. Mm -hmm. I did struggle with it, but I never showed that. So also might be my character by not really being... Showing emotions and talking about it, like, it's not really my thing. Well, you're talking about it now. Yeah, but it's a different way because now I can talk about it looking back at it. Mm, In hindsight, yes. Yeah, it's much different than living through it and talk about it. I need to be on my own and go through it on my own. Were you, this is really a question, were you maybe afraid if you asked too many questions that it would upset them? Yeah, When I was older, definitely, I was always afraid 
I might hurt her feelings. Not that they, that they said that or that they made me feel like, oh, you can't ask anything because we had the documents at home. My mom would let me know that's where the documents are, at least the documents that we have. It's not much, but if you have questions, it's here. Um, I also remember every time she ha had articles about Rwanda, she would cut them out of the newspaper and put them in a file just in case if I was older, if I would have questions. Unfortunately, a lot of those articles were not positive. But yes. anyway, she was she was doing that. But I never really asked questions because of what you said. I was like already a little people pleaser. I was like, everything is going well. So don't disturb the peace and mm. don't go ask questions or don't go talking about how you feel or that you miss your family because, yeah, you might sound ungrateful because we also come from that era that people that are adopted needed to be grateful because you were brought into a better situation. Wow. And were you maybe afraid also, I mean, as a child, everyone does sometimes little things, misbehaviors. Yeah. Were you afraid if you did something wrong that they would send you back or... Definitely. Yes. That, yeah. That's also something that I didn't express when growing up. Um, but I did because in my mind, like... I was two and a half, so I could not place what happened. Like, for me, it was like, okay, why didn't want my mom anymore? Like, mm. for me, it was like one day I was with her. The next, I was on a plane to another continent. Might be a couple of days in between. I don't remember, but it felt like that. So in my head, it was like, if she can give me away, like, everybody else can do that. So if I don't behave in this family mm. and they don't like me, they might give me away as well. And it's, like I said, I can't say anything bad about my parents, so... It's not that they made me feel like that. It was something that I created in my head and I didn't talk about it with them. So mm -hmm. in my mind, it was like, okay, you're a child and you see your, to say it blunt, your white friends, because I only had white friends in the beginning growing up, going wild or doing things. And you'll be like, mm, I can't. Also, my mom was very strict with us. <laughs> Already I had a strict mom. And then I was like, okay, I can't color outside the lines too much because yeah, just in case if they don't like me, I can't mess this, mess this up because I'm in a good situation. Yes. So actually from an early age, which is normal, you maybe had like a little bit of an abandonment issue mm -hmm. or yeah, that's really heavy for a child. Yeah. And so you already told me your parents would cut out news articles or whatever. Um, everything that has a connection with your cultural heritage. Was there anything else that they did? Like how were you brought up being a Rwandan girl in the Belgian family that Oof, you came into? No, I wish. They that never took you to a no. Rwandan restaurant? No, or not at all. Also, like that could have went better. But also the time we were living in, there was no YouTube, there was no social media. And like I said, I grew up in a small town with mm. like predominantly white people. So where do you meet those people? Um, I do remember the adoption agency um, had like those meetings where adopted children would come together. Mm. Like, how would I say it? It was like they had like benefit evenings and things like that for to uh, to raise money for something they did in Rwanda. Now, in hindsight, I'm like, okay, they were doing some <laughs> dirty shit. But yeah, we did not Ooh. know back then. So in the beginning, my parents took me because they thought it was important for me to be around other children that were adopted and to be like, oh, then you're more connected to people that look like you. And these events, they were like, I think you had African food and things like that. And the performers were mixed. It could be white people, but also people from African descendant. I can't remember if it were specific Rwandan people because I was too young to, to know the difference or to know anything about that. But I didn't like it. Um, a lot of people that were adopted are from the Kempe because mm -hmm. that's where the adoption agency mm -hmm. is. And they kind of knew each other. Mm. And like I said, I'm, I'm a little bit shy at first. And also growing up in a white neighborhood and children teasing me um, made me a little bit reluctant to go to people and to be like, hey, this is me. Mm. I want to play with you guys. So I didn't really like it. So it was all a lot of children that kind of knew each other. And I was there like, oh, so my parents stopped going because they were like, you weren't really enjoying it. Sometimes I even get sick of the stress, like mm. literally get a fever because I was stressed out about it. Yeah. So they stopped doing that. So after that, I actually, until I was in high school, I never came in contact with black people or people that were adopted or anything like that. Oh, my God. 
Yeah, so, honestly, like really in contact, like not passing by in the streets, like in contact. I didn't like until, saying hi or no, like people. Like, like, I w- maybe in the streets because also the thing is when you're with your white family, black people look at you. Yes, and as a child, you don't know what's going on. You're like, why is this black man staring at me? Yes. <laughs> like, okay, what's going on? Probably he was like, do you need help? Like, what's going on? <laughs> but I didn't know. As a child, I was just like, okay, weird black man, <laughs> weird black women, like staring at me. That was it, but I didn't come in con- like real contact with black people until high school. And so when you were in high school, was that still in your, I'm going to call it a village because it, it is, is a village. It is a small uh, town. <laughs> in that small town, was it no, there? No, because we don't it? have high school. No, so then uh, you have to go. To so then I go to, I go to Antwerp, yes. like the south of Antwerp, America, like really in oh. the city. And that's when I met like, oh, you got Turkish people, Moroccan people. <laughs> Black people was like, oh, there is. Uh, okay, here is you are. Here. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And how was that? Were you immediately like, oh, I need black friends or I want to be surrounded by black people or people from another uh, background, cultural background than the Western? Huh. It's beginning not really because I didn't know any better. So I kind of found my comfort zone within white people. Like I also mm-hmm. was a gymnast as a child. So I had, oh, I had, yeah. a, I always had a lot of friends, mm-hmm. even though they were white friends. I always had a lot of friends. I was social. I had good times with them. So when entering high school, also the thing was because I didn't really grow up in a diverse school or town, um, like, you know, you have that one Moroccan family that everybody knows. Mm. So like, I know them. Mm. You got that one. I don't even think we had a Turkish one. Like, you know what I mean? Like there was one other girl from India that was also adopted. But other than that, I didn't see people from, from different ethnicities or different countries. So I remember when going to the first year of secondary school. Mm. I was there with um, two friends of mine from high school. And one of them was mixed. Um, But she grew up with her white grandparents and white mother. So she didn't know much either. Maybe a little bit more because her mom knew a little bit from the dad and they would tell her, but not much actually. And then just a white girl. And I remember that white girl, after the first day she left the school, Because there was too much color in the school. But me, being naive, I was like, color? What do you mean? (laughs) Like, people, children were telling like, yeah, I went to Morocco on vacation with my family. I went to Turkey. For me, it was like, they're just Belgian people going to Morocco, Turkey. I didn't link it to like, oh, they're Turkish. (laughs) Oh, they're Moroccan. I don't know. I was so naive as a child. For me, it was like... I don't know. They they, they went to Turkey on vacation. We were like, I went to France. They went to Turkey. Everybody's going. Everybody's going somewhere. Yeah, she was like, oh, too many brown people and everything. I don't like this school. I don't want to go. I was like, okay, I didn't see it like that. So for me, it was just, I was just going through it. And then kind of, it just went naturally. It was not like that I really had the need. Mm -hmm. But when I start interacting with black people, I was like, oh my God. Then I felt the need. Mm-hmm. Before I didn't really. When you say need, what do you exactly mean by that? Like, what is it that you maybe have missed in? Um, not really missed because you can't miss something that you never that you had. Don't know. Yeah, and that you don't know. But you realize there's what an you essential have, part. You realize of you. what you have missed out because yes, the thing is actually the thing that sparked everything was actually more my Moroccan friends. Mm. Like, and I'm very grateful for them because they were first my closest friends that were not white and Mm. they would invite me in their houses and their parents would be nice to me and they would be asked, oh, where are you from? Because obviously they see where I'm from, but it's a different where are you from than when white people ask it. Mm. It was not to be like, ooh, it was more like, we're from Africa, you're from from Africa, Africa. like we're in Africa. And I was like, oh my God, I'm from Africa, but I can't really... I'm like, I yeah, can't I was, say anything about yeah, yeah, the standard line was I was born in Rwanda to make it short. I was like, but I was adopted mm. that people knew, like, don't ask me any more <laughs> questions because I don't <laughs> this know. This conversation is ending yeah, right here <laughs> because it, I was very it was awkward. And also you feel a little bit like I am from a country where I don't know anything about. So to get through that awkwardness as a child, it was like I am from Rwanda, but I'm adopted. And also like I fit in here. Yeah. Didn't make, make you with sad. white people to be like, I fit in here. I'm adopted. I'm not. Yes, because I have as the a right child, to be here. Yeah, as a child, it was very black and white because that's all I knew. Like, I didn't feel any connection with the other black people because when I was, example, for example, in Kerouver, close to us, 
a lot of the black children were speaking French or English. I did not. Mm. So I didn't feel oh, the yeah. connection. So I was like, oh, that's a different category. I'm not part <laughs> of that category. I'm, I'm saying it very blunt because... There's levels to it. Yeah, but that's basically also what the whole thing of adoption is. Because adoption is making you feel a part of the majority, the white majority, but you're not. You're not. So it's playing and you'll tricks never with your mind. Mm -hmm. Because you think like, oh, my parents are white. We speak Dutch at home. I eat white food. I... So you're like, oh, I'm not in the same category as them. But when you go outside, you are actually, but but your mind cannot really deal with it as a child. So it was very black and white for me. So I was like, okay, I'm not in the same category. It's fine. Mm -hmm. I have my white friends. I have my white parents. Like, so that's what I'm from Rwanda, but I'm adopted. So mm -hmm. I belong to that category. Mm -hmm. And then people would not ask more questions about my country or anything like that. and would not see me as the other. That's how I kind of dealt with it as a child but then growing up you're like i am from africa i need something to be proud of mm -hmm. because before all i saw about africa was famine misery, war, yeah. misery so it's also it doesn't make you feel very like oh i want to be from africa you're more like oh my god if i'm saying i'm from africa people are gonna think i'm poor i'm coming yeah. from war basically i came but yeah <laughs> you know as a child people like, you're from africa <laughs> yeah as a Anyways. child you're like so naive like Oh, if I say my white name and if I say I'm adopted, like, that's fine. Like, they're going to put me in the other category and that's better, easier as a child. I looked at it like that. Mm -hmm. So it We was, all want to fit it at the end of yeah, the day, yeah, in a way. Yeah. Um, but then you see, you come in high school and my Moroccan friends were, like, proud of their language and their food. And I come at home and they, they ate different foods and they were like, oh, nice. And I was like, oh, my God, this is a whole new world. You have also that side of Africa with nice food and beautiful clothing and different music. And I was like, okay, so there's more than war and famine and drought and all those things. I was like, okay, this is interesting. And that kind of sparked the interest in where I'm from. Mm -hmm. So, and then I felt like, oh my God, I missed out. Mm. And then I feel a little bit the need to be like, okay, I want to meet more black people. I want to know more. And like, yeah, the black people is going to be my, my, like the door into mm -hmm. everything that I missed. So you're like, oh my God, black people. Oh my God. Oh my God. Rwandan people. <laughs> yes. You're extra excited. Like, okay, tell me more. What did I miss? That's a little bit how I felt. Maybe overexcited. But then also you get the backlash because back in that time, I don't know how it was for you because you told me like there were some adopted children in your school. Mm. It's very interesting because I never met really an adoptee growing up. Mm. So for me, yeah, it was but like, I went to school in the big city. Yeah, but also in the big city, I didn't. <laughs> oh, okay. But then you also have like the other side because for black people, you were not black enough mm -hmm. because they were like, hey, and then, oh, you're adopted. Yeah, but yeah. And you and you don't speak an African you don't speak language. language. And, oh, yes. you have good grades. Yeah, but probably because your parents are white. Yes. Or oh, you can do this. Yeah, but that's because your, your parents, parents are white. white. So yeah. you're like, oh wait, I don't fit in here either. So then you're like, oh, what do I do now? Mm -hmm. So it was, yeah. So you feel the need to be around black people, but if you get rejected, it hurts even more. It hurts more. even more because yes. then you're like, okay, what now? Regarding your white family or your adopted family, did you ever feel like a sort of resentment or maybe towards your biological parents for the situation that they've put you in? For, for example, for me, the things that you're saying about not fitting in, even me growing up in my Congolese family with my mom, I felt the same things, but yeah. I think yours is even... It's an extra level. It's an extra level. But we all have that yeah, because yeah, we yeah. grow up in this... In a white world. And you in a white try world. to find your place as a black exactly. person in this white world. Exactly. And not being proud of your African heritage. Yeah. I feel that. But I can imagine that if you come into a house and you're like, but why did you, why did you take me? Or why did my mom do this? You know, did you ever feel like this sort of anger towards the system of having even the possibility to come and get you from Rwanda? Yeah. For resentment for the system, for the system, for system, yes, of course. But resentment towards my parents, no. It was more as a child not really understanding what happened. And even as an adult, like, because you kind of get to know the system more, mm. just also looking at my adoptive parents, oh, they were kind of scammed by the system as well because... In what way? In what way is because 
to me, transracial adoption is like it's possible because of all the systems around it, because of colonialism, because of capitalism, because of white supremacy, mm. all of that. And they are a part of the system without even being actively doing anything of knowing that. So I never, ever doubt that they did it for good intentions. They had the best intentions with me. Um, you have horror stories of adoption. Mine is not a horror story. In my family, I felt loved and everything. But it doesn't make the system a good thing. Mm -hmm. Even them having, believing they're doing a good thing are being scammed by the system because actually it's not. Mm -hmm. So I see them more as victims and my birth mother as well. And me, though, we're all victims within the system that telling us it's one thing why it's actually another thing. Mm -hmm. And what can you describe that? What thing is it that they're selling or saying that it is that it isn't? Because they're selling like, oh, you're helping a child in need. Mm -hmm. You're giving it a better future and they're selling it like it's not possible to give the child a better future within the own family or within the country even. Mm -hmm. That's what they're selling. So as a person that wants to do good, my parents, they always were honest about it. Like they were like, oh, we want more children. It didn't really happen. And then we came across it and we we're like, oh, if you can help a child somewhere, why not? Doesn't matter where it comes from. We're okay to, to, to have that child within our family. So they were always open about that. So I know their situation. But that's where the system sells it as something good. Well, actually, if it's about the child, you need to make sure that the circumstances of that child are being bettered. But it can be in the own community, it can be in the own country, it can be in the own family. But that's not how the system sells it. Mm -hmm. The only solution is getting the child to Europe. Yeah. So instead of what can we do to make the circumstances for that child or the family better? In the home country, that's never what they will sell. Mm -hmm. Because um, I looked it up real quick on the website of the federal government mm. in Belgium. And it literally says that adoption, interracial adoption, as you call it, can only happen if all the options have been researched. So the adoption being in the in the home country um, via family members, mm -hmm. You know, that's or because now legally they have to like they have to in the 90s, 80s, it 70s, it wasn't. But even because today, they changed uh, this. Yeah. yeah. But even today they put it on their website. The Belgian government can say that. Mm -hmm. But the person they're working with exactly. in the home country can they say, say all like, these check, 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 we did that. But still, until today, you have stories of children telling them like, but I was with my parents yesterday. How come they are the the, the document says they're dead like mm. you're still keeping that system alive you can check off the boxes but you can still work your way around if you want to because there is not enough investigation and there is not enough resources put into that and they don't think outside the box because they want to keep that system alive mm -hmm. and in a good world the system shouldn't be alive like how we know it today Exactly, because in a ideal world, you would still be with your family or with your community. Because or with your community. communities have doing adoption, but not in the Western. Yeah, not how the Western people do it, like through yeah. a different gaze. Like it's normal in African families. Like if somebody die, okay, if my sister dies, God forbid, yeah. I will take care of her child. Mm -hmm. It's normal. It, nobody talks about you have to sign documents and this and that. Like it's normal. You take care of each other's children. Exactly. Communities have been taking care of the children, so that's something beautiful. Mm -hmm. But how we look at it from a Western point of view, that you need to get a child from the other side of the world to get into Europe. You have to change the name. You have to change everything about that child to fit into your community. Mm -hmm. That's a totally different story for me. And then there's also the other part of people not being able to have children who by any means want a child yeah. can do it in it's a Belgium. Supply and demand exactly chain. because here it takes a very long time and then they go overseas to exactly. to seek a child. But why does it take a very long time in Belgium? Because you have to go through certain processes. Exactly. Even if you go in Belgium like um when children are in foster care, you cannot just We can only speak about Belgium. I don't know how the situation is in other countries. You can be like, let me foster this child today and tomorrow it's mine. It doesn't work like that. Like the rights of the parents are protected in Belgium. It goes on for years and the child goes back to the parents and the child knows, ah, these are my biological parents. This is my foster family. And after a while, if both par parties agree and the child, they can be like, oh, we will adopt a child. That's how it goes in Belgium. It's not, oh, we're taking your child. We're going to sign the documents and... Voilà. It's a done deal. Mm -hmm. And you as a parent lose all your rights just like that. It it never happens here. But how come it can happen that easily with countries in the South? Mm -hmm. 
because there are children here also in need of family. So exactly, and we know that. But and do you know if, for example, with your parents, mm-hmm. did they how do you say that resign every right that they have to you know come talk to you, especially when you were a kid? write you letters or maybe send you pictures were they in contact were you no my mom didn't know anything she just knew i went to europe but she didn't know where okay. because i was supposed to come back every year that was the agreement that was what i told her first of all my mom was a child herself mm-hmm. when i left so she said like when they were explaining what was going to happen mm-hmm. it was like okay it looks solid um We're going into a war in here in this country. It's not looking very well. Um, so they will take you to Europe. You will go to school because in Belgium school starts at two and a half. I was two and a half. Mm. Okay. And you will do summers in Rwanda. And when you're 18, you will come back permanently. So she was like, okay, okay. sounds legit. Mm-hmm. Also, yeah, the church in Africa mm. <laughs> is always something else. So it Thank was like, you, oh, colonialism. yeah, it's legit. Like, and my child will be safe, safer there than here at the moment. So why not do that? That was her first thought. And then she was like, when we saw the children of the village leaving, there were mo- more yeah. children. Yeah. Then. And I can only speak from our village. In our village, it was also, where is that? Um, I'm from a small village in Butare. It's like in, more in the south. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom told me like in, in our village, it was also specific children will be taken. They would really? only take the Tutsi children. Oh. So it was already within the yeah. vibe we're in. It was very specific. And that was something she noticed afterwards when she was like talking to other parents like, oh, your child went as well. Okay. And then when she was like, mm, I don't know if everything is okay, mm. but what could she do? She was a minor at that time and everything already happened um, and I already left. So, mm-hmm. And it's not that she got a letter with, oh, that's the parents of your child. You can contact them. No, nope, she didn't know anything. What do you know about your biological family? You mean right now or back then? No, right now. Right now? Huh. I know a little bit my mom, her story. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to get to know more, but language... She's still alive. It, yes, mm-hmm. language is making it very difficult. Oh, yeah. But language, history, mm-hmm. trauma, everything makes it very difficult. So I'm getting it piece by piece <laughs> to know a little It's bit a about... It's a process. It. Yeah, yeah. So it goes very slow, but I'm thankful for everything that I'm getting every time yeah. I see her. Do your parents, your... Adoptive parents help you in that journey? I don't think they're really, they are really helping me, but that's also more because, like I said, I'm a very close person when it goes okay, to deep yeah. emotions. Yes. But they're very, they were always open to it. Like mm-hmm. the first time I went, my mom was so excited for me. She was like, oh my God, what, you're going what age? to meet. The first time was 10 years ago, 2011. Yeah. Okay. I was 20, 20, yeah, 21. That was the first time the back first time to Rwanda. Back looking since. for my mom. I didn't even know if she was alive back then. So Ooh, wow. But my mom in Belgium here, she was very excited for me. And mm. when I found her, she was super excited. And um, even the years after when I went, she would always give money for my mom and was like, oh my God, uh, say hi to her. And she was very grateful. Um, for her, it was, unfortunately, did not happen. My mom died, my adoptive mom. But oh. for her, it was always like she was always like, "Oh my God, I wanted to meet your mom, and I also want to thank her because it's because of her we have mm. you." So she was always very open to that, and it was a relief for me. Like as like we said before, as a child, I was scared. Like, "Oh my God, I cannot talk about it because if I ask questions, maybe she's gonna be in her feelings mm-hmm. or things like that, or she's gonna be upset." And it was the opposite. And how was that for you to step? on that soil, your ancestor's soil, as we like to call it, after 17 years and a half? No, it was almost 20 years. Yeah, I left in 91 and I came back in 2011. It was almost okay. 20 years, yeah. Okay, yeah. Wow, math, difficult. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I was counting from yeah, no, when I you were two and a no, half. Yeah, I was not, uh, I was not 20. <laughs> I was 22 or going to be 22 in that year. Yes. It was, I'm going to say the First time I went back, looking for my mom was very blurry because you go through so many emotions. But now... Did you go by yourself? No. <laughs> I went <laughs> with the adoption agency. Okay. 
but yeah, we had a big fight and we sued them after that and everything. Ooh. Yes, it was a big... <clears throat> it was chaos because... Do they still exist? They the already lost their license to adopt years ago. What? But yeah, 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 yeah. But they would like... Can you name them? Yeah. Um, Adoptie zonder grenzen in Dutch. Um, from the camp in Turnhout. The name itself. I know, I know. So the, <laughs> but they were only without borders. Yes, but they were only operating in Rwanda and Burundi. So, um, okay. yeah, that's also... Not really without borders. No, <laughs> kind of tiny borders, but hey. <laughs> so, um, but they were organizing roots trips. Mm-hmm. So they would take us adoptees to the motherland and help us find our family. But it was so Did you have to pay them? The thing is, they didn't tell us like that so because you're young and naive you never traveled outside the continent and Mm. they know that we're young and naive and they have all the information about their parents so we rely on them and Mm. for my parents it was like oh i took a friend of mine with me one of my best friends i'm grateful she did that because again i kind of found it weird to go the first time with my mom because in my mind it was like oh my God, I'm going to have to take care of her emotions. Am I going to be able to take care of my own emotions? I was like, I need somebody who's not involved in this. (laughs) (laughs) So for me, and when my best friend wanted to go with me, I was like, okay, that's nice because you can be there for me. Mm -hmm. um, And you're not involved in the triangle or or the rectangle, whatever we want to call it, relationship is here. The Pentagon. (laughs) Yeah, so... So we went with them because we didn't know any better because they had information about their parents. They were doing this for 20 plus years. So we're like, oh, they know the country. They know what to do. It's going to be a safe trip because also the narrative about Africa is like, oh, is it safe? Yes. So it's better to go with people that have been there. So for my parents, it was like, oh, that's safe. We believe what they say, what they will do. So you pay money, but you don't see anything. Like like I said, I never traveled. Afterwards, do you know the amount? For example, we will pay a thousand euro for a ticket. But a thousand euro for a ticket, now me traveling to Rwanda every year, is a lot when you don't go in July or in December. Exactly. And also back then the tickets were cheaper. Exactly. So, but you don't know any better. Yes. So they're like, okay, it's a thousand euro for a ticket. Okay, you pay that. Okay, it's 300 euro for the staying. Okay, give it cash. You're like, hmm, whatever. Maybe it's Africa. Yeah. They have to give a cash. You don't think too much because you're like, oh my God, I'm going to meet my family. I'm just going to save up the money. Um, I was a student back then. So you just, uh, my parents are not wealthy. They're just hardworking people. So you're like, let me save that money. You just do it. You pay. And then um, we're all excited because it's with other adoptees. I think we were a group of 12 or something. Um, So we're excited. We're going, not 12 adoptees. I think like maybe a little bit more. I think seven or something adoptees. And then plus one mom or friend or girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever. So we're all excited to go, first time to Rwanda and everything like that. We go there, we arrive, we're excited. And then you start to see the cracks because we start to visit people's family. And the first one I remember, it was somebody who already went with the adoption agency. So it was so the second... So what, you do a tour to everyone's family? Girl. That's weird. So we went to her family because she already went and they know where her family lived. So I was like, oh, okay. But <laughs> they don't let the family know we're coming. So we're just there. So it's her and her family reuniting again. It was not the first meeting, but still, mm-hmm. it's it's always emotional. Of course. And then you have all of us like... Uh, Just standing around. What are we doing here? This is awkward. Like, why are we here? Was so, there an, a, an antenna of uh, adopties on the grenzen in Rwanda itself? Before, they had like um, the the one working for the church, the brother... Fun fact about him, he died somewhere because he was like Interpol was looking for him for um, for um, trafficking of people. What? Yeah. So. Oh, my God. Yeah. So he was in Rwanda the whole time. Um, So when I was adopted in the 90s, he was there until he died in 2015 or something, I think. So he was the connection person. He also went to the families like my mom to tell mm-hmm. them like, hey, we have a proposition for you. We can do this and that for your child. That's what it was. And they had he had an orphanage there because I remember we were brought to the orphanage. Then we get like some kind of clothes all in the same clothes and then put on the plane to Belgium. This sounds so wrong in so many ways. Oh, yeah, because you just have a plane arriving with like 30 children. Without anybody from Rwanda. You w- like, you just have children and you're being like, 
they're calling the name of the family. Here's your child. Go home. Bye. And yeah, okay. We're going backwards. But okay, yes. so you're in uh Yes, so you're, you're in, in Rwanda, Rwanda and you see like little cracks like, okay, this is weird. We're visiting her family. Why are we all here? Like she could mm. have went by herself and we could have done something else. So you feel like, okay, we're just here. It's, it's a little bit messy, but okay, whatever. Maybe it's because she already met her family. It's mm. fine. But then we saw it also with other people, like meeting family, even if it's an aunt, uncle for the first time. And all of us are there. <laughs> like, this is weird. And then we came into the city where I'm from and we had little vans. So you pay also for the van and transportation, yeah. which is normal. But we came there and I remember the image, but I didn't get it because somebody was talking to me about like next steps to finding my family. But I remember arriving in Butare, something was off. I didn't get it because they were taking us the bus stopped somewhere and they were taking us into the into a church it was an empty church at that time i don't remember very well what happened but there were a lot of people standing next to the little vans and i didn't get it back then so days go by when we're there um i wanted to look for my mom mm -hmm. but they were like oh we can't take you because we're gonna visit the hospital yeah, we visit a lot of hospital orphanages just to show them how lucky we are because no we way. stay there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We couldn't do any fun activities. Huh? That was so like it's really like a tour of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. look how well the adoptees came out of this process. Exactly. Because this could have been you in the orphanage or in the hospital or things like that. That's just trauma on trauma. I know. So that was actually their itinerary. So they were like, yeah, we can't take you to your family because we're going to take the fans to go there. I was like, okay. So I had to arrange myself a taxi and a translator because they were going to go with a translator and with a, with a van somewhere else. Were you paying for? Yes. So, but okay, no problem. So I go there with one of the people of the organization. So he goes with us. So we go there. Uh, we're going to look for my mom. Thank God we find her. Um, Was it easy to find her? It's a little bit difficult because me, I only had a copy of her identity card with her names. But in Rwanda culture, you don't have first names or family names. So mm -hmm. it's not like it's her family name and that's the name of her dad or something like that. You all get your personal names. Mm -hmm. So you can have more people with the same name. And normally, culturally, you can name your grandparents and stuff like that. So you know it's about that person. Mm -hmm. But I didn't have that. So I only had her name. So we went to a village first and uh, they were looking. The, the translator was like, oh, we're looking for that person. Did you have a pic picture? No. Yeah, it was a little black and white picture because it was a copy of a copy of a copy. You couldn't recognize her, really. And the translator is asking in the village where I'm from. And they were like, oh, yeah, we know her. But yeah, she died during the genocide. So I was like, oh, well, I was afraid for this. So yeah, mm. here I am. And I was like, okay, I need to switch the button in my head because I'm going to be here for a little bit longer. Let me try to enjoy this trip. And I was like, oh, my God, I need to switch the button, but you get that information because mm. first of all, you don't understand the language. So everybody's talking together mm. and then the message comes to you and you're like, oh, what am I doing now? So, but then they were talking about it like, yeah, and this is her brother. And the guy was like my age and I don't have many memories. I just remember there were not other children within our family. Mm. Outside I played with children, but not with, I was like, but he's my age. So that means there was another child within the family. I don't remember. So I was like, can you check again for sure? Mm. And then they were like talking and they were like, oh no, that's a different one. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. The emotional roller coaster. Wow. So no, it's a different one. Um, she doesn't live here anymore, but um, I think uh, her aunt is here, but she's at a, at a hospital, like uh, the medical center yes. on the road. So go there and you will meet her on the road or you will meet her there. So okay. I'm like, okay, but that it's all through so translator. African. So you don't really know what exactly they said. Did they give the name or anything? I don't know. So we're hopping in the car again, <laughs> going to uh, going to the medical center. And then on the road, we meet an old woman and the translator is asking something. And the woman looks at me and she's like, but I know you. You're Immaculate's daughter. And I'm like, yeah. She's like, okay, you look the same. You only got, you only got darker, which is not true. <laughs> I didn't get darker, but my mom is like a much lighter version of me. Okay. So she was like, okay. So that's how everything um, 
yeah went from there so she her son so random yeah her son called my mom and the next day my mom took the long bus ride all the way to where i was wow yeah so actually no help from the agency no not at all and it was like the first time i met my mom um the girl that was so sweet to translate with us also translated the next day so the first meeting mm -hmm. but before we left uh Butari to go back to the capital to kigali my mom came again or she stayed with somebody i don't remember she came again uh with my little sister and a friend of her was translating and that woman was telling us that always when the agency comes a lot of mothers go to them to ask do you know anything about my child Aww. and now i realized oh the women standing next to the van Are were waiting. asking for yeah. their children and the thing that i saw the woman from the agency that's running the agency only speaks kempis i'm not going to even say dutch like kempis she doesn't speak french english nada nothing nothing she just ignored the woman oh every God. woman that came to her she was like mm, she just kept walking didn't give them any information nothing she didn't even look at them nothing that is horrible that's so horrible i was like oh my god so these mothers they kind of when they hear like oh they're here mm -hmm. they come like oh my child went during that time to europe or belgium do you know anything they will be asking and nope she will not even take the time to i'm not saying that every child went through that adoption agency but she has the means she has the power she has the things to be mm -hmm. like oh let me check in my files yes or if it's not me let me check in other files in belgium and mm -hmm. she just ignores them she just there for her charity work quote wow. unquote charity work like <laughs> yes and so then after that trip you sued you sued them a little bit later so after that trip rwanda and zoveel meer kind of started yeah. Because that trip was so traumatic for us. That you needed to just... We oh, like, it was... So the same people who are in that organization, we're going to get uh, into that later. Yeah. So they went also... They yeah, were on me the and Nira were on that trip. And okay. Nira is like the mother of Rwanda. And exactly. Yeah. So we were on that trip together. And because it was so traumatized, like we got into a fight because also we had some... We were young and kind of in a needy place because they had information about their parents. But there were also some moms with us they were like, we're not taking this. So they were like, first of all, the money, where is it going? We're paying for gas, for everything, for transport that we're not using. We still have to pay for ourselves. So we're paying for them to go visit all the things they need to visit. Like, that's not okay. And so they were asking questions and they were like, yeah, I wrote down the numbers. It doesn't add up. They were asking questions. And we were like, ooh, yeah, mommies, go, go, go. <laughs> so, and they were like... Yeah, this hobby was very ungrateful and it was not okay and we should be happy with what they did for us and things like that. Yeah, it was really a big fight like the last nights. We didn't talk to each other, but they had like our plane tickets. What? So we didn't have transport to the airport. We didn't have anything because, yeah, they had it. So we found our way to the airport because actually Rwandan people are very nice in Rwanda. Mm -hmm. So they were like, okay, we can bring you. And we were just like, okay, we're just going to go to the check-in. Um, just say your name. Yeah, and just say our name, and sports. we're on the list. So yes. eventually it's worked out. But like, you need to think like you're 20 years old. You're like, I don't have a ticket back. Like, I don't have it myself. Like, mm -hmm. so we're just gonna. You're in a country <laughs> that you don't here. know. Yeah, we're just gonna wing it here and just see. Like, yeah, they just were like mad at us. And so, so when did you sue them then? So with uh, Nira, the suing came later, but we couldn't go through with it because. Um, the statute of limitation. Oh no! Yeah. So the thing is, when we came, how from can how can it be? How can there be a statute of limitation when where when did you go into? No, but we didn't sue them for that. It was more uh, for everything what happened oh, before. Oh yes. Because for that we can't really sue them because we voluntarily well, give yeah. our money and everything. So exactly, well, we kind of want to sue them for all the illegal adoptions because talking to my mom and other moms there, we kind of realized that this whole adoption didn't happen that clean. Like, mm -hmm. my mom telling me, like, yeah, I thought you were going to come back. Like, I never really gave up my parental rights, like, how it happened right now. Mm -hmm. So, and you hear all, the, all those parents telling you, like, yeah, I brought my child to um, the orphanage. I wanted to pick her up the next day, and she was in Europe. Yes. Like, I didn't sign any documents. I didn't do anything about, like that. Um, we had people coming on the strip with us looking for parents, but their name didn't match like they even their Rwandan name was fake 
So mm. they could not look for their family because who they thought they were was not them. And you know Africans, they have good memories. So if yes. you tell a story like I was a child brought him from this village to this village mm. on that day and that was the name and they're like... There's someone there is, who will know. Yeah, and they were like, no, there's nobody that came in with that name. So, or it's not your name or the facts are not right. Mm. And then you're like, okay, where do I go from now? So you also have people that never can find their family because they... They don't have the right info. No. And that's horrible. And yeah. so, so we came back very mad and frustrated. And then that's how uh, Rwanda and Zovelmeer started. Yeah, kind, kind of. of. <laughs> kind of, yeah. First we were very mad. We were like, oh my God, this this is so unfair. It mm -hmm. cannot happen. Like we need to do something. So that was more, um, I cannot speak for Nira, of course. Uh, she will tell it much better than me. But that was kind of uh, the startup. But then afterwards we, like now we created something. We tried to take the positive mm -hmm. things out of it. So we're more like trying to bring the adoptees in Belgium together, the Rwandan adoptees, and try to share our stories, experiences, and see how we can make things easier for us, like traveling back to Rwanda, looking for family, anything like that. So we're more on a positive note. Like yeah. So you're actually doing a little bit of that second part of the adoption agency, you know. What they're the, supposed to be doing. Yes, you're doing it for your <laughs> the own. The aftercare. Community. The aftercare. That's actually what we're trying to do a little bit for as far as we can, because, yeah, we all have full-time jobs and stuff like that. So, of but course. For as far as we can, that's what we try to do um, instead of being angry. <laughs> wow. What advice would you give to your younger self um, or other people who have a similar experience as an adoptee? It's my younger self. Um, don't be afraid to be you. Being you is okay because for the longest, not even like my younger self as a child, even me six, seven years ago, I've always been an acceptable version of me. Mm -hmm. Like a version that fits in to this wide world, wide family, like what people expect me to be. Oh, girl preaching to the Like quiet. being a good student. <laughs> being the best at anything that you do, like you need to excel, you need to do this, mm -hmm. you need to do that, and not really being dedicated to who I am as a person, the interests that I have. Because I grew up in a wide world, I also developed interest in white things that I was not really interested in, but because all of my friends were interested in, I was like, oh yeah, I should be interested in that as well. And exactly. more like, okay, no, being you is okay. Not being interested in the same things is okay. You can be curious about your heritage, your background, whatever comes with you. Like, go explore that. Mm -hmm. um, and does being in the organization of Rwanda and Zoveel Meer, which is translated Rwanda and so much more, does that influence you as a young African woman, young Rwandese woman? Huh. Not so much. It influences me as an adoptee. Mm. Um, me personally, I've been very blessed with an African community. Uh, most of my friends are African. So I've been very blessed to get the Africanness and everything to learn that through them. And yeah, I already have that part in my life. So that part is kind of covered. Mm. Friends that became family and their families inviting me in and being open to teach me things. Because also that was a different world, like 10, 15 years ago. Even parents would look like, oh, why don't you speak the language? Yeah, yeah I'm adopted. Yeah, that's no excuse. Do you speak a little bit of Kinyarama? Little, little. Like I'm at a two out of 10 right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, but before, even parents would be like, yeah, that's not an excuse. I'm like, but how yeah, I'm going to speak to you in Kinyarama yeah, but anyways. But that I don't, I don't. Like that I like, yes. but more they're going to blame me for not speaking the language. And mm -hmm. I'm like, you're already feeling in that position. I'm already an outsider. Like, I didn't ask to be adopted. How is not speaking the language and not knowing the culture also my fault? Mm -hmm. Like, and now you see the communities are like, oh, wait, they are actually our responsibility. Mm -hmm. We as a community need to get the adoptive children, the mixed children. We need to take them in and it's mm -hmm. our task to teach them and to learn them whatever they need. We yeah. can't blame them for not knowing it and we not teaching them. Mm -hmm. And that's a beautiful shift within the community. Exactly. So before it was not like that. So now it's much different. But Rwanda and Zovelmeer helps me more with the adoptive part. Like you said, you had your maybe identity crisis or issues with like, oh, my culture, my heritage, living in Belgium. So I, I have that part in common with my African friends, mm -hmm. but they're not adopted. And that extra layer yeah, with Rwanda and Zovelmeer, I can feel connection like, 
oh, I was not the only one going through that. I was mm. not the only one feeling that growing up. Like, oh, I'm not weird. Like, it's it's a normal feeling. It's it's okay. It's more that part that I can share with them. And yeah, it's it, they're feeding that part. Like, being okay with being adopted. And now, as the adult that you are, how do you feel about adopting children from outside of your own cultural heritage? Like, in general, how do you feel about people doing that? Huh. As an adult, I still don't get it. But <laughs> Me neither. But, yeah. Like, a lot of systems need to be crushed before we can get to the point that nobody's doing it. So, mm. like I said, I don't get it. But since it's happening, I think we need to give more advice mm -hmm. to the parents that mm -hmm. will do it and get that information out and make sure that the children that are being adopted can find people to talk to, mm -hmm. can find a network, can find all the things that they need, even if it's through online things and everything like that. I think we, we need to look into that because in my ideal world, it would not happen, but we're not there. Mm -hmm. We still have a long way to go. So I think it's important for parents to be, that they are very clear about what they're doing. Mm -hmm. It's not that easy. For, okay, I'm just gonna save or whatever you want to call it. Like, I'm just gonna help a child from mm -hmm. the South, take it into my family, give it love, make sure it can go to school and things like that. That's, that's not, not how, how it works. works. <laughs> no, that's definitely not. You need to be considerate of the child's heritage. Mm -hmm. You need to make sure that the child can connect to it. You, as an adoptive parent, also it's your responsibility to check are all the documents in order like do we know who the bird, bird parents are and everything like that like check 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 double check because mm -hmm. your child is going to come to you with those questions and what are you going to say yeah but they told me that everything was in there mm -hmm. that's not an excuse not today mm -hmm. exactly. so i'm like yeah as a parent you need to do that and you need to even as a child if the child is like eh, i'm not really really interested in my culture it's a part of your responsibility To keep the info anyways. To keep the info there. And it might come later. But at least as a parent, you try it like, okay, I try to give you all the information. I try to connect you to people from your country. Mm -hmm. And it's a child choice like, oh, I don't really like it. I think you have that also with biological parents. You can be like, oh, my God, let's go to Rwandan events. And my child can be like, oh, my God, mom. Yeah, I, I just want to go with my white friends yeah. to go to another party. It can happen, but at least as a parent, I give you everything you needed and you do with it what you want. And mm -hmm. for adoptive children, it's the same thing. Try to connect with the communities, especially now with social media. Try to connect with the communities, language courses, whatever. There's a lot of options. A lot of options. And you need to do it like whatever works for you and your family. But you need to put in as adoptive parents, they need to put in that effort. Mm -hmm. I also feel like it's really the aftercare because... I mean, everyone wants to do good in the world mm -hmm. and whatever. The system is already in place, but the aftercare is so much more important because people are growing up here. You know, there's a certain connection that they can't even put in words or it's just like a feeling yeah. of knowing that you don't belong here. Yeah. You can't belong there because no. you don't know what there no. is. So it's just like that internal struggle that can have a lot of consequences exactly. growing up. What people, I think, underestimate is Not growing up with biological family, no matter how good your adoptive, adoptive family families, is, yeah. and not knowing something essential of you is missing. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure if that ever can be fixed. And I think people underestimate that part of being adopted because as you grow up, you always ask where you come from. Even if you are with your parents, you want to know your grandparents. What did you do as exactly. a child? Imagine not having that. Nobody can tell you what happened on the day you were born. Maybe people can't even tell when you were born. Mm. Like you miss a vital part of yourself. And it's it's not an easy road to take that with you for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to add other traumas on top of that, what do you expect? Exactly. I really hope that there will be a moment where the aftercare, especially bringing in the cultural heritage, it should be mandatory yeah. if you're adopting overseas, yeah. other continents. It really should be. Because this is, for me, it's it's almost criminal, actually. It because is. Because you're taking someone away from their roots, from where they belong, yeah. in a sense, and you're putting them in this new environment without any anything to feed them. No, and you expect them just to flourish and just to thrive and do whatever they need to do without questioning 
what just happened. Exactly. So that's that's a hard burden on the adoptive child. It is. And that's the whole... It's traumatizing. It's very traumatizing. And that's the whole thing. Like, it's also the adoptee that has to put in the work the whole time. So you come here, you have to put in the work to fit in, to grow up here, to fit in that new family, everything like that. To take on the microaggressions. Exactly. To prove yourself to the community you were actually born in, but you're not part of it anymore. So you need to put in that work to like prove like, yeah, but I am Rwandan. Okay, I don't speak the language. I don't know anything. But hey, I'm Rwandan and it's okay that I don't know that. So you have to put in that work. Then if you want to know your birth family, you have to put in that work because who's going to do it for you? Nobody. So you have to put in that work to look for them because most of the time they don't have the means the biological family doesn't have the the money the resources or they don't know anything so again it's the adoptive child that's maybe the adult at that time that's in charge of that so they have to put in the work again and then you have the sometimes the baggage of yeah you know a lot of Africans still look at it like oh you grew up in Europe so you're probably rich you're doing well Mm -hmm. for yourself so then you have the biological family expecting things from you again as a child because you grew up in the west so you get things to offer them you have to put in the work again to maintain their relationship and to sometimes financially, emotionally, whatever. Do you do that? Financial support? Yeah, you do. Because, yeah, it is the situation we're in. But it's not fair that they expect that. Mm-hmm. Because that's a different thing. It's a choice, but it's not fair that they expect that. Or that's a little bit the world they created. Like a lot of people see Europe as that beautiful thing with money and growing on trees and stuff like that. So they expect you... So beautiful, you always sunny rainbows. Exactly. So they just... But, but that's also with not even adoptive people, like a lot of people from African descendant or whatever, if they're in Europe, they're like, oh my God, now you're making money. So mm. help us. That's just the thing that's being created. And as an adoptive child, it's just a little bit more difficult because you never learn to navigate that. Most people learn that from their parents mm. because the parents came. They probably sent money. And they taught the children how to navigate that, how to set boundaries, how to send money back, this and that. And you, as an adoptive child, needs to learn that on your own because your white parents never had to do that. So you're here like, oh, how do I send money back? How much? Um, The frequency. Yeah, whatever they're telling me is is it exactly the price because I never lived there. Like, is that the price for electricity? Is that how much school costs? Like... You have to navigate everything. Like, is it an excuse or are there really a need? You need to navigate through all that because, yeah, you didn't have your parents to teach you that. And your parents normally have roots within the country and they kind of know like, yeah, that's kind of scamming or that's this or that's that because you also don't have the cultural nuances. Mm. You you don't have that. So you're just like, hey, yeah. <laughs> I'm just winging you're it just here like and trying. Being your nice self. Yeah, you're just trying to do whatever you think you're doing and whatever is good or you think you're good. So you're just navigating that and it's a lot. Mm-hmm. What would you say to people who are considering or already in the process of adopting interracially? Huh. Yeah, like we said, we just said, like, do your research. Mm-hmm. Um, try to get as much information from the child's family as you can. Like you should demand it from the adoption agency. Like, you get everything from the child. If they don't have it, then you need to demand, like, dig deeper or anything like that. And don't take just anything they say. If they're like, both parents died. Okay, was there an aunt? Was there an uncle? Like, I need more information. It can be enough to be like, oh, they died. So it's okay, you can take the child. I think they need to prepare, be prepared for that. And then, like we said... The cultural heritage, the aftercare, they have to keep that in mind. Like when a child is here, it actually, it's just starting. It's not like, oh, the child is here. Okay, I can be a white mom. You cannot just be a white mom to a white child. You're a white mom mom to a black black child. child. So you need to acknowledge your privilege and acknowledge that your child doesn't have that privilege. Because also that's an important thing. I was not prepared for the outside world. My parents never talked to me about racism or things like that. I was not prepared for the outside world. You just step out of your 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 house hey, and then the you hear about the beats and you're like, what? The thing <laughs> is, I didn't know what racism was until I was in high school. Mm. Like, I knew the feeling. Like, yes. oh my God, this is off. Why yeah. is that person not so nice to me? This is off. Mm. But as they a child... They never called you names regarding your skin yeah, color? Yeah, yeah. Mm. 
in schools, my school not particularly, but when we were with other schools and things like that, especially boys, boys are nasty. Mm. So they were <laughs> name dropping much more than girls. But if a child doesn't get to know how things are called, mm. you don't really know it. I knew discrimination because we would talk about at home about discrimination. My parents are, people are like, you don't discriminate. You're nice to everybody. You can be like, oh, I don't like that person because of this, of this, of that. Like I was raised like that. Be nice to everybody. Be a good person. You can't discriminate. Discriminate. Yeah. But specifically racism, kind of, mm, how should I put it? We talked about racism when it happened to other people. Like, you know what I mean? Oh, they don't like that person because he's Moroccan. Okay. Mm. But like I said before, because you're being raised thinking you're white or you're within the majority. You don't see yourself in that other box. Did but you not see your color in a way? I saw my color when I looked in the mirror, but I didn't feel it. Mm. The, what I felt didn't add up with what I saw. Yeah, or what you were doing. Or yeah, I was like, were... in my head, I'm like, these are my parents, this is my sister, this is my family. And then you walk around the mirror like, ah, I'm black. <laughs> what is this? You're like, oh, yeah, right, I'm black. Like, <laughs> okay, but you don't feel it. Aww. So when they were, so at home, we didn't have like, oh, you're a black child. Mm -hmm. So, so if you, you need step to outside the house, this might happen. Or you need to put on cream, like things no, like that. no. No, the ashiness was there. Oh. Like, or they had the creams, but the creams for them, but they didn't work. Like, I put the cream on, but yeah. a couple hours later, I would be ashy because yes. the cream was not creamy enough. <laughs> like, there was no shea butter right No, <laughs> no, no. It was probably, I don't know, Nivea or something. Yeah, or Dove. Dove, typical. yeah. Probably something like that. So... I didn't feel the blackness and my parents did not prepare like, if you go outside, you're a black person. Mm. They were just like, you are our child. Mm. So they did not prepare me for racism. So in the beginning, you feel people are being weird to you. But for me, it's like, okay, why is that person not nice? Like, I have a weird feeling. You can mm. feel it. Like, as a black person, you feel when people, uh, it's not just like they have a bad day. So I would feel it as a child, but I couldn't name it. Yes. So when I was in high school and I was with children from different backgrounds they would be like oh my god that person was so racist i went through this and this and that i was like oh my god that's racism i went through that like oh my god all the time yeah i was like that happened to me too wait so a whole new world had up like okay that's racism okay okay i get it i get it okay wow yeah so even that parents need to know like you're a parent of an Asian child or a black child. Like you're not just a parent of a white child. So you need to prepare that child. In our home, you're just you. Outside, you're also you. But other people might see also this extra layer on top of you and might treat you differently. And that's something my parents never really taught me. So I just went through it. <laughs> like, mm. oh, world is hard. Wow. So I think that's important for adoptive parents as well. Knowing that they will be privileged in a way that their child will never be doesn't matter how good they are raised, how polite they are, how what kind of degree they have, whatever, what white name they have. It doesn't matter if they step outside the world. They're going to be Asian, black, uh, mixed, whatever, uh, because we don't walk around with like a label like adopted. Mm -hmm. And because of that, you can treat me so and so and so. That's what's up with white people adopting black children in this case. Uera, I want to thank you so, so much for sharing a bit of your story. I'm sure there's so much more to, <laughs> to tell in detail, but maybe we'll keep that for another time. I'm very, very happy for you that you've, you know, embarked on this new journey thank and you. that you found your tribe, if I can yeah. say it like that. I'm happy that your mom is okay and that you get to visit her um, when the stars align. So, yeah, thank you. Mm -hmm.